We're doing this sermon series out of the book of Proverbs, and we are getting toward the end. Uh, we are in Proverbs uh, 30 this week. There are only 31 chapters. So almost there. How many of you feel wiser having gone through the book of Proverbs? Uh, let me start with a question today. Uh, what do you want out of life? What do you want out of life? Or maybe, maybe a better way to put the question is, uh, what do you want your life to be like? What do you want your life to be like? If somebody were to just ask you that, what do you want your life to be like? What would you say? You want your life to be easy. <laughs> what, else? what else? Peaceful. I sense a theme. What? Adventurous. There's a good blue water answer. Meaningful. Yeah, that's a big one for me. Fruitful. All right. Now suspend all that for a second. And, and just ask yourself, what do, you want, what do you want the experience of your life to be like? You know, do you want, uh, what do you want on a, on a daily basis? How, how, how do you want to feel? What do you want to know? What do you want to go for? How would you characterize the sort of life that, that you want? And be honest about it. You know, do you want a life that's fun? Uh, do you want a life... Yes, Grandma says yes. Uh, do you want a life that is uncertain? Yeah, peaceful, day to day. Um, it's a great question for people concerned with the pursuit of wisdom. I remember when I was younger, uh, like when I was a teenager and beginning to like dream about what life was going to be like uh, post high school, uh, I would sometimes talk about this issue with my friends, you know, directly or indirectly. We talk about, well, you know, wouldn't it be great if life such and such. I grew up in a place that was uh, sort of rural and kind of rural poor. Um, there was uh, like 16, 18% unemployment in the area where I was living when I was uh, in high school. And uh, I went to high school in, in Southern Oregon uh, during some, some tough years. And I, I have distinct memories of sitting around with my friends dreaming about making $50,000 a year. That was as high as we could imagine. You know, it's like, wouldn't it be great to make 40K? No, man, 50K. Wouldn't it be great to make 50K? Now, I got a family of four. Uh, if, if we make $50,000 a year in my household, we are below the subsistence level for Hawaii, Right. Uh, but that was as high as I could imagine. What would it be like to buy a new car? Nobody in my circle, none of the families of uh, the friends in my circle had ever bought a new car. Think, things like that. My, my personal goal was to get out of the valley, to go to a good college, to go to an elite college. And that was about as far as, as I could dream at that point. And then I managed to do it. Uh, I, uh, I did well in school. I, I got to a good college. I, I went to Stanford. It was pretty good. Oh, yeah, yeah, Stanford. Go Cardinal, beat Cal. Um, and then a little ways into it, I realized, uh, well, now I wanted to excel when I got at Stanford. And there were little, like, academic uh, contests and trophies that I decided I really needed to win uh, while I was at Stanford. So I went after that. I did pretty well. And then it was like, well, i got to get to grad school. Uh, I really need that Ph.D., 
and I have to have a successful academic career. And then I went through some depressive years, and, and the career was turning out to be sort of confusing and not very enjoyable. And I realized at a certain point, I had learned to pursue excellence, but I never learned to be content. Plenty of people had taught me about the value of pursuing excellence. Nobody had ever taught me the value of being content my whole life. And when I realized that, I would like to tell you that, oh, then I learned about how to be content and it became uh, simple for me. Uh, but that's not true. It's been sort of a lifelong lesson for me. Nobody teaches contentment anymore. I think contentment is a lost art, particularly in this country. Do you agree with me? Yeah. We set all sorts of goals in life. We want to be happy, or we want to be successful at this or that, or we want to get really fit and strong, or we want to get really skinny, or whatever it is. How many of you have set a goal to be seriously wise? We've been talking about that a little bit. Uh, that's a, a good goal. The book of Proverbs makes it clear that if you want to be wise, you have to pursue wisdom. You have to go for it. It doesn't just happen, and that is a good point. But let's say that you have become wise. Let's say that you have gained a little bit of wisdom in life. What does that do to your life goals? How does that shape the sort of life that you want to have? Wisdom. So we're taking a look at Proverbs 30, um, which again is getting uh, to the very end of the book. And uh, Things shift in sort of the style, uh, the tone of Proverbs, once we get uh, to about chapter 30. Instead of just a bunch of rapid-fire, concise little phrases, uh, the authors now are shifting to a characterization of what wisdom is like. What's it like to see wisdom, to behold wisdom, or to live out wisdom? What does it look like? What does it feel like? And in chapter 30, uh, we get the beginning of what's what are called the sayings of Agur, A-G-U-R, Agur. Baby names uh, for you pregnant couples. Uh, it begins like this, the sayings of Agur, son of Jaka, an oracle. This man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and to Ukal, I am the most ignorant of men. I do not have men's understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. But who has gone up to heaven and come down and begins a meditation on what it was like to know God? Uh, just to say, all those funny names are actually the result of some very complicated ancient Hebrew. And so people don't really know how to translate the beginning of this book. Agur sounds a little bit like an old Hebrew word for compiler or one who collects. So it might say, the sayings of the guy who compiled the sayings. Um, son of Jaka, an oracle, an oracle. Oracle, that's a funny word. We don't know exactly what it means. It could be advice, it could be utterance, uh, or it could be lesson or something like that. This man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and to Ukal, it's not going through the, the, the Hebrew, but it might be saying, here are some sayings that someone compiled to be giving to uh, one who does not believe and one who is very tired. So, good sayings for people who are struggling with sayings of wisdom. Uh, in other words, it might be something like that. Uh, and then, then we, we jump into, like I say, some characterization, some illustrations for people who don't, like, get direct proverbs. Here are some, here, we're painting a portrait of what wisdom is like 
for those who have struggled with wisdom so far. That's kind of, kind of what the Hebrew might suggest. Anyway, our text uh, from Proverbs 30 today, um, I've just selected a, a few verses. Uh, we'll pick it up in verses 7 and 9, and then again at 15 and 16. Uh, those verses are on the back of your program. They'll be up here on the big board. The sayings of Agur. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. Skipping down a little further in this meditation. The leech has two daughters. You guys know what a leech is? Those little blood-sucking slugs that you find in uh, fresh water. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. There are three things that are never satisfied. Four that never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, land which is never satisfied with water, and fire which never says enough. So you get the feel that these Proverbs have a different style to them. They, they paint a portrait of what wisdom is life. I think that it is a particularly potent way to impart wisdom. Uh, the guy here is calling out some pretty powerful themes. Two things I ask of the Lord. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Help me be honest. And then Give me neither poverty nor riches, but only my daily bread. I just want to have enough and no more, please. Keep me honest. Give me enough, but not, not too much. A blessing, a piece of wisdom for people who struggle being wise. What do you think about that advice? Here's my first observation on it. There is great wisdom, I think, in the idea of enough and no more. In life, just give me my daily bread. Just give me enough for a day or two, enough bread for a day or two, but, but no more than that, please. That's what I can handle. That's what I would like. Why is that so cool? Well, if you only have enough for today, um, then it prompts you to rely on God, doesn't it? You have to trust God for tomorrow. If you don't have a lot in your savings account, then you have to trust God. Uh, more for the future. There's, there's no chance of engaging in those sorts of self-deceptions that have to do with being secure in the world or secure in worldly ways. If you have enough, but no more than enough, then it makes you look to God regularly. And obviously, this is exactly what Jesus taught us to pray for, right? In the most quoted piece of Scripture in all of Christendom, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Just, just enough bread for today. And then tomorrow, what's our prayer going to be? Give us this day our daily bread, and so on and so forth. Jesus taught us to pray in that prayer of prayers, just enough for right now. That's really uh, how we need to live. And technically, just to say it, enough is, uh, well, it's enough, right? Enough is enough in life. There's nothing to complain about. Enough is enough, 
and, and uh, it not only prompts us to look to God for tomorrow, but it eliminates true neediness. I mean, if you have enough for today, you're fine. You're fine. You are not in crisis if you don't have enough for next week. Technically, that's true. We all have to admit that. Well, I think there's, there's some wisdom in the prayer, give me enough and no more. Here's my second observation uh, about uh, these verses. There is, it seems, a connection between honesty and, let's call it over-desire, um, sort of wanting more than you require. Uh, the first request of this guy is, uh, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Make me an honest person and give me uh, enough and no more. And I ask myself, well, why are those things lumped together? Why are those the big two for this guy who's struggling to hold on to wisdom? Well, I, th- I think it's because if our desire for acquisition, our desire for stuff, our desire for security for tomorrow, if that, if that runs away with us, then very frequently it twists our relationship with reality. It twists our relationship with honesty. What I mean by that is it's very, very easy to serve our ambition. It's very easy to serve our desires at the price of our honesty. And this, I think, is a tremendously wise insight that this person uh, is having. Um, I have been uh, a discipler of people for many, many years. Uh, in one form or another my entire adult life. Uh, So I've compiled a list of discipleship killers. You know what I mean by that? You're in a relationship with someone. You're you're encouraging each other in following the Lord. Maybe you're mentoring someone trying to bring up the next person in the faith uh, behind you. And then something comes along and just takes them right out of the game. Takes them off the path. And usually the way that discipleship is killed is that the person who gets taken out doesn't like abandon their faith. They just like put it on the shelf permanently, you know, for the foreseeable future. And there are a handful of real discipleship killers, things that just sort of take you out of the game in that sense. Uh, one big one is, is career. And usually it's not struggling with a career that kills discipleship in people. What is it that kills discipleship in people? It's succeeding at a career that takes people out of discipleship and into blah, faith, right? If you're struggling with your career, what is your approach to God? (laughs) It's focused. It's urgent. You need God's help. But when you start succeeding, what happens? Exactly what the guy says happens. You you disown God. You you start feeling, well, you know, thank you. I'm good now. And, and you're off and running. And in that sense, a career can become deceptive. It can seem like it's what you need. It's what fulfills you. Whereas we know that's not true. If you're a person of faith, uh, you know uh, that's not true. Another big discipleship killer, romance. Romance. I'm not even talking about, you know, evil fleshly things that can happen in the midst of I'm just talking about getting into someone. You know, just sort of, ah, romance, it's, it's so fun. Kills discipleship, that's probably my, my number one uh, on my list. 
uh, what happens is that you're going along, you're pursuing Jesus, and then, you know, this really attractive gal, this really attractive guy comes along, and, and suddenly your life is about them. And there's something about romance that makes you feel justified in becoming obsessed with it. You know, and we have an entire culture built up around this. There's something about romance that demands tremendous amounts of attention and energy, and it just takes you right out of your step uh, with, with faith. What's interesting about this, the two examples that I've shared, is that there's nothing wrong with a career, right? And there's nothing wrong with romance. I think, you know, those can be two very good things, but they often release powerful desires in us, over-desires is what I call them, that make us dopey, that just kind of make us go stupid all of a sudden. And knowing that is an important element of wisdom. For those of us who struggle with wisdom, you have to realize that about yourself. That, you know, when these sorts of things come into my life, you know, money, success, power, romance, I have a tendency to sort of check out of faith, to check out of discipleship. And the author of this, uh, these sets of Proverbs, uh, he realizes this. And so he says, okay, I just want enough for right now. You know, it's almost as if he's saying, don't bless me with too much. I'm not sure I can handle it. And that's kind of wise. It's kind of wise uh, as far as it goes. I have a personal proverb. Uh, I say, the pursuit of greatness often makes you forget goodness. There's something about greatness. Oh, this is great! That makes you forget what's good. Does that make sense? That's how I've encapsulated it for myself. Jesus taught about this subject a lot. I've already shared some ways he taught about it, but he's got another famous saying, what good does it do a person if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? You know, you can gain any sort of earthly treasure, earthly security, earthly pleasure, but really what good does that do you if it's going to come at the cost of your spiritual life, if it's going to come at the cost of your eternal soul? Of course, we never say that. We never say, oh, I'm going to get into this thing for a while, and it's going to cost me my soul. We just say, I'm going to get into this thing for a while, and I'm not really thinking about this over here. That's how, that's how it happens. And so you have to be on top of that. You have to be extra sensitive to it, which is what these Proverbs are about. Desires, ambitions, passing pleasures, they are so incredibly deceptive, so incredibly addictive, that it's better not to have too many of them. It's better to keep it simple. Do you think that's true? I mean, think about it a second. Do you actually think that's true? That it's better just to kind of have a simple, and eh, getting by enough sort of life? That's very challenging for me, actually. Um, a person who says, I just want to get up, I just want enough to get by, is that person saying, my soul is enough, I'm good, thanks. And is that a wise thing to say? Or is that being unambitious? Not pursuing excellence like a good American. What, what is that? It's very challenging. This passage uh, goes on to drive home the point on over-desiring by offering illustrations. Uh, there's one here in uh, verses uh, 15 and 16. 
the leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. Well, what is that? That's an illustration of a, well, of a bloodsucker, right, which is a very potent symbol. Uh, and it's as if the, the proverbist is saying, um, do you want to be like a leech who just attaches on? And what, is, what does a leech do? A leech will suck and suck and suck until they just, like, pop or, you know, that they never stop. Give, give, they cry. Some people are like that. Some of us are like that. You know, we're more focused on God giving to us than, say, giving to God or getting right with Him. Humble, honest moment. The first half of the Blue Water service, we give to God in worship and praise and thanksgiving. The second half of the Blue Water service, we receive from God and instruction our ministry. First half of the service, many of the chairs empty. Blue water. Second half of the service, people show up. What are we more interested in? Even in worship times, what are we interested in? Receiving from God, right? How does it feel or is it uplifting us, right? It's not good enough just to give from God. It's always a growth edge for, for humans, and it's a growth edge for this church um, as well. Give, give. And then, there are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, land which is never satisfied with water, and a fire which never says enough. This is just sort of a poetic meditation on things that are never content, never uh, satisfied. And they are each provocative in their own way. The grave never gets enough, right? That's true. I'm 48 years old. I'm very, very tired of death by this point, you know? But the grave is still accepting applications. Um, you know, it seems like the graveyards are never so full that people stop dying. And there's just sort of a fruitful meditation in that. It's like, yeah, you know, that, that will continue forever unless something incredible uh, is, is done. The barren womb is never satisfied, never says enough. Well, like that barren womb, the whole idea of barrenness, of wanting a child and not getting it, oh, well, that's just so emotionally complicated and primal and profound, right, that we can all appreciate what it's like to really desire something and then to not have it year after year until we feel like it's getting, it's getting late. That can really drive a life. That can really drive a person to a dark place. And even 3,000 years ago, it was true. Human experience, and that's a fruitful meditation. Land which is never satisfied uh, with water, um, particularly uh, for an agricultural um, society. That was a potent thing to say. Oh, yeah, uh, the, uh, the spring rains came and watered the crops. But that was two weeks ago, and now we just need more rain. You know, and the farmer in an in a, in a era without irrigation was always desiring more, more rain for the crops because that was life, that was sustenance. That's a fruitful meditation. And then fire, which never says enough. As long as there's fuel, the fire will have desire. <laughs> um, and... A raging desire. That's what's suggested to me by, by a, a fire burning. Have you ever been in a forest fire or seen one? Uh, I've been around several. A uh, little spark. It just becomes this amazing raging contagion. 
Um, that's what desire can be like in our lives. You know, it doesn't burn a little bit and be like, ah, okay, I'm good now. That's enough success for me. Fire is not like that. And sometimes we are not like that either. So what, um, what do we learn uh, from all this? Here's just another one that I didn't put in the, uh, in the program, but I, I think is sort of... Uh, powerful and disturbing from uh, verse 20 of chapter 30 to return to a theme that we've seen a lot in the book of Proverbs. This is the way of an adulteress or an adulterer. This is the way of someone who is unfaithful. Um, She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. I have a picture of a vampire when I read that. (laughs) You know, someone who feeds on someone else. Uh, Why? What what made that possible? Well, dishonesty made that possible. And here we return to one of our headline themes. She has convinced herself that it's not wrong to destroy someone, to feed on another human, in a sense, or to destroy a marriage, or to destroy a family. Why did she convince herself that that wasn't wrong? Why did she turn herself into a vampire? Well, because she wanted to, because she had a desire. And the desire made her dishonest, and the dishonesty made her desire even more. It turned the desire into a raging fire. It's it's a portrait, and it's a very disturbing uh, portrait. So, uh, So what do we learn? A wise person, I think, learns not to trust himself or herself too much. I think that's what chapter 30 is suggesting to us. A wise person learns not to trust himself or herself too much, and that can really reshape the way that we look at our life ambitions. It can really reshape the way that we look at the life that we want. A wise person, we are led to understand, has simple life goals, at least when it comes to the self-oriented life goals that we tend to make so much about. You know, those having to do with material things or career or status or, um, or romance or power, things like that. Better to be simple. Better to practice the lost art of contentment and to let enough be enough. That would be wise. And this all provokes a question for me. Do I even know how to be content in life? Would I recognize enough if it slapped me in the face? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. My my desire, my ambition, my want, my goals, they can have the quality of a raging fire. They can just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger unless I check them. It seems to be their nature. And I wonder if that's true uh, for you as well. So should your goals be humble? Should your needs be simple in life? Do you need to be a simpler person? This is such an important topic. Uh, Proverbs talks about it. Jesus talks about it. Uh, It pops up in the epistles. Paul writes about it to his protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. You can be a godly person and manage to be a content person wherever you are. Oh, that's great gain. That is super 
profitable if you can get there in your life. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. That's where that phrase comes from. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. How many of you have food and clothing today? How many of you are content with your life? All right, we've got a little work to do. Uh, but Paul is quite defiant about it. Uh, we have food and clothing. We're content. That's who we are as a people of faith, he tells Timothy. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Why don't you just say it plainly, Paul? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. We've heard that before. Some people, eager for money or eager for acquisition, have wandered from the, pa- from the faith and, here's a great line, pierced themselves with many griefs. It's just so potent the way that he talks about it. And it just makes me not want to get wrapped up in greatness and not want to get wrapped up in success and not want to get wrapped up in amazing because it makes me forget what's real and what's good. I want to be more about merely good instead of awesomely great in life. I want great fruitfulness in my life, but I think the path probably lay through goodness and not greatness. Do you know what I mean by that? It seems to be what the Bible suggests is wise. Um, And what is real? What are the things that we're tempted to not think about enough? Oh, you know, that death is coming. That's probably worth thinking about from time to time. Uh, Or that I'm just human. Or that life can spin on a dime. We don't really control tomorrow, let alone today. Or that I'm supposed to be about love and caring for the weak and sharing everything I have, which is a grand biblical commandment rather than focusing on getting more. Do you focus more on sharing what you have or do you focus more on getting uh, more into your uh, account? It's a great question for us to ask ourselves. It's pretty easy to get wrapped up in yourself. Have you noticed that? By which I mean it's pretty easy to want to make a grander you as opposed to a better you. Uh, So maybe the best thing to do is to adjust my sights and shoot for different things in life. Maybe I should simply shoot for good enough. What do you want out of life? Uh, I want to be good enough. Uh, Even still, that sounds a little bit offensive, like I'm missing something when I say it. How many of us have ever said, here's what I want out of life. I want to just get by and do good and never do anything dishonorable. How many of you put that in your high school yearbooks? I just want to get by and be a good person and not do anything dishonorable. But keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but just enough bread for today. That's what, that's what we hear in the book of Proverbs. Is that being unambitious or is it being humble and wise? What do you think? I just think contentment is a lost art. That's what I think. So, what should you really want out of life? If there were ever a question that calls for wisdom, this is probably it. What should you want out of life? If you are a young person embarking on the journey of wisdom, I suggest that question to you is a bedrock question. What should you want out of your life? To help us with that, here are some probing questions, some diagnostic questions, and we will just end with these Questions that help us measure if we're striving after something that is making us miss the point in life. Striving after something that in some way is compromising our relationship with reality, our relationship with honesty and with God. So, we all fail in some way. 
But here are some questions for meditation in the spirit of Proverbs 30. Question number one, what's disappointing you in life? What's disappointing you? Are you struggling with a big disappointment? We all have little disappointments. But if you're feeling disappointed with life, why are you feeling disappointed in life? What's disappointing you right now? And then, of course, the follow-on question, is that really valid? I mean, is that disappointment truly justified, or are you just not content? Question worth asking. What's making you disappointed with your life? Is that really an honest thing? Question number two, uh, what's demanding your energy in life right now? We have lots of things that demand our energy. But, you know, sometimes in life there are big energy requirements uh, for this or that thing. So what's taking the lion's share of your energy in life right now? And is that a good thing to be serving? Diagnostic question. The answer might be yes or it might be no. Or it might be, I better think about this. But what's sucking all the energy out of your life? Great diagnostic question. Third diagnostic question, are you indulging in some desire that you're not being honest about? Are you indulging in a desire or in an ambition or in a pleasure that you're just not being honest about, that you're not being transparent about? It's an easy one to answer. It might be an uncomfortable one to answer, but there you go. Um, And, of course, follow-on advice we talked about last week. Be honest about it. Confess it to someone right away. And here's a good one, Uh, maybe my favorite diagnostic question. Is there an area of your life in which you find yourself making a lot of excuses? I just think that's a great sign of trouble. Um, You know, there are valid excuses and there are invalid excuses, but if there's an area of your life where there are just a lot of excuses from you, then maybe there's something unhealthy going on there. Maybe you're dancing around something (laughs) that you just need to get honest with. Um, So, are you making a lot of excuses uh, at home? Are you making a lot of excuses in your marriage? Are you making a lot of excuses at work, at school, or in ministry, or something like that? And if you are in some certain place, it's worth looking at that place and asking yourself, are you getting... Are you really being honest about it? How do you like those questions? Do any of them strike you just a little bit? How many of you are struck dumb and silent? Yeah, there you go. Here's a promise, though. Here's a promise. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment, that's really the definition of a great life. That's the sort of life that will keep you in the heart of wisdom and make you fruitful in a lasting way in the world and in eternity if you just trust in contentment. If instead of letting discontent drive your life, you let contentment and faith and thankfulness drive your life. That's the more powerful way. What, what profits anyone if he or she gains the whole world but loses his or her soul? It's huh? a great question. 
It was a great question thousands of years ago. It's a great question today. Let's pray. Um, I ask uh, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in this place today, Father. And I pray that you would point to places where, where discontent is driving us instead of contentment. Where uh, um, a vain ambition is driving us instead of thankfulness and faith. What's going on in our hearts, Lord? It is written in the Proverbs that the uh, purposes of the heart are deep waters and it takes a person of understanding to draw them out to get to the bottom of it. So get to the bottom of our heart a little bit, Lord. Flush out a little contentment. I pray, uh, Lord, out of need uh, this morning, I pray that you would create in us contentment, that you would restore in us as a, a people of faith the lost art of contentment. And thereby make us a people of peace, a people of joy, and a people of strength. I pray that we uh, would be people who may want some things, but who are nevertheless perpetually satisfied in you. And we ask for your healing work in this. In Jesus' name, amen.